0: Lordy,
1: Lordy, Lordy, look who's 40. Look who's 40. (laughs) He almost went into an Al Pacino there.
0: Oh, yeah. Look who's 40. (laughs) She's for Francine is 40 today. Francine, everybody. Francine. (laughs) 40 years old today. (laughs) (laughs) Not looking a day over. What's the, what's the age of 8 uh, six, uh, uh, 12 and you, a half you look good Francine <laughs> you're looking fine <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, it's easier to do when I'm driving everything <laughs> yep, 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 yep.
0: Yeah. why'd you have to drive in front of me why'd you have to do that I knew it was you <laughs> I knew it Fuck. was you <laughs> Alright, say hello to my little friend. The turn <laughs> signal. That's what you do. You you turn it on before you make your turns and you you make sure <laughs> everyone everyone knows your intentions. <laughs> I don't
1: know. Is <laughs> your intentions.
0: <laughs> make sure everyone understands what you mean to do today. <laughs> I don't know why I'm speaking so carefully. Like I'm, it's like I'm drunk and trying to sound sober.
2: It's
1: not, not working, not passable. No, no,
2: I did that. Uh, I would, (laughs) in an effort to uh, control my speech, it would be an over, an over, uh, emphasis on like consonants, like Mm -hmm. tomato, like, you know what I mean? Like just trying to, (laughs) trying to make sure like, God forbid I sound slightly like I'm slurring my words, even naturally. Right um, right. which now I do daily uh, because of <laughs> s- severe alcohol abuse. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding, I'm tired. Uh, it's hi, Dustin. Hey, how are you? Hey, it's uh, Happy New Year! Happy New Year! It is, It is in fact, January 1st in the year of our Lord 2020. 2020, yes, yes, Did you indeed. Ever think you'd
1: make it to see 2020,
2: yes. <laughs> Oh
1: well, good for you.
2: I hope so. <laughs> I I did remark this morning to somebody. I said, you know what, I just wanna sit here. I just want to be the one who says right now, I think it's cool we've reached 2020. Yeah. I don't know what it is about maybe just because it is a new decade. I think maybe in twenty ten we felt the same way. Like, thank God we can get out of like the double O's and you know, now we're yeah. in twenty ten, like we reached a new milestone. But twenty twenty is like to me the beginning of a lot of when you think about future, uh, uh you know, years mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. in movies, you know, obviously, you know, when you go back as far as seventies and eighties, you know, the future was 1996 and, mm-hmm. you know, whatever else. And then I think in Blade Runner, like it was, I think Blade Runner is 2019. Um, yep. you know, so that seemed far away because it was beyond the millennium, but most other like way in the future, um, Sci-fi was like minority report. It was like 2054. And even yeah. Logan was in you know, it was supposed to be in like in 2028 20, or something. Uh, the Avengers mm. takes place in 2023. Uh, um mm. so like just actually being in the 2020s now, it's like you you do feel like this weird air of like, wow, we've we're really here, you know? Yeah, yeah. Even though it's no more real than it was yesterday.
1: <laughs> right, right.
2: Um but this is going to be a cool year. I don't know. I I think a lot lot of people go into the year and they, they have like that. There people share memes all over the place. It's like, Oh, this is such a, everyone, everyone's always had a terrible year at the end of the year. Um, Yeah. And uh, so that just shows you how overwhelmingly negative people can be. But for me, I really do like, and 2019 was not a bad year for me or a good year. It was just like, it was just, uh, it, it was just rough. It was rough, mm-hmm. but like not for, not, it was nobody's fault that it was rough. It was just, there's a lot that we had to do and juggle and stuff, but we're, we kind of getting our shit together a little bit in my house and, yeah, yeah. and, you know, so now it's the first day of the year where the year that we have the baby, you know, cause you know, in 2019 it was like, oh, this is a 2020 thing. You didn't think of it like something that was going to happen mm-hmm. before the new year. Oh, well now it's January and, <laughs> right. uh, and, and so you know, it's coming.
1: It's here. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So no, it's not, it's not well, here. It's, well, you know? well, the years here. <laughs> do you know? Oh God, I have to go. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm really, I'm really, really, um, I don't know. I, I'm optimistic about the year. There's a bunch of things that, that have not changed from last year. Sure. Um, right. But I feel like the stage is set a little bit. And I just feel like there's a sense of like, I don't know, the arrival of the baby kind of allows you to, to sort of go to the next thing um, yeah. so that's good. Um, yeah, totally. I, like for the first time, we're actually planning on like smaller scale vacations we can take, maybe not this year, but in 2021. Yeah. Um, and so I'm just looking, looking forward to those things. Cause we've spent several years just not planning those sorts of things. And, uh, mm-hmm. and life sucks when you're not planning for shit like that, <laughs> you know, like it, right. It's, uh, it's tough. So, uh, I, don't, I don't know if you, I don't know if you feel the same, the same way about, about the, the coming year that I do, um. Or not?
1: Yeah, no, no. I think I think it's gonna be a good year. We, um, you know, Sarah and I made a few plans for this year that, um, you know, are like, I mean, it's it's resolutions like everybody makes. You know, nothing life changing, but but just essentially, you know, doing things that we realized we should have been doing already. Mm. Um, you know, devoting time to exercise. Yeah. Jazzercise. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, the Aerobics.
2: <laughs> Yodeling.
1: Um, y- Clog <laughs> dancing. Um, you know, we're, we're going to learn how to fence. Oh, um, excellent. And, and yeah, we're, we're yeah. going to go, go, uh, base jumping.
2: I'm going to learn how to use a sexton.
1: Yep. Yep. But whatever that is. Yep.
2: I'm also going to get into sexton. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what a sexton is for real? I don't It's like a weird Steampunk looking contraption That was essentially It's like read the horizon On the seas Ah It's like okay. this weird Looks like a gigantic Like math instrument thing But it was just like Oh the angle It was supposed to help you Read direction And thank god We uh-huh. don't have to use them anymore Cause that's just Right 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 They were large And, that and seems cumbersome Yeah I was gonna that was exa- That's exactly the word I was gonna <laughs> use Was cumbersome it was yeah. It was large and cumbersome Has a right. strange name And we don't need it anymore Yes, because um, we have radar and satellites. Right. Right, um, right. Sorry, continue.
1: <laughs> no, it's no, it's you know, but but you know, these little changes I think will amount to a lot, uh, a, a lot of, kind of they'll they'll snowball into a, what will feel big. Yeah. So yeah.
0: Yeah,
2: I, I made. I actually made some resolutions this year too. Um, I, I usually don't go for that thing because I find it. I find that it's just. Uh, Again, within the context of social media, it's like grandstanding, but it's also like, I don't know, people always declare what they're going to do and they don't do them because, you know, it's hard to, you know, people, people can't stick to a habit in the month it takes to learn a new habit and to make it stick. So it's just kind of like, so I get cynical about it, but like, I actually am making an effort this year to like, I've read, I read a lot of books last year. And um, hmm. the habit's sticking. I, I'm I'm reading or listening to anywhere from four to seven books at a time,
0: mm-hmm. and
2: um and that's I, I feel better. I just feel yeah. better. I don't feel as overloaded. Sure. Um, you know, I'm, I'm still getting my movies in. I'm still, and I'm, I'm, you know, especially this time of the year where, there's, where, where the quality is slow when it comes to, mm-hmm. uh, film and stuff like that. I'm, I'm either focusing on stuff I've always meant to get to see, like in the coming weeks, I'm going to be talking about a lot of like sci-fi films that I've, I haven't gotten around to yet. Um, yeah. that I figured that I found and downloaded to my iPad. I'm going to check them out in, you know, in, in succession. Um, mm-hmm. because I've always, I, I, you know, I can finally get to them or these docu series I really enjoy. Um, you know, yeah. and just just in general, just uh, a little more balance, a little bit more unstructured time in my life, which I sure desperately need. So, yeah, um uh, but one thing that will not be changing for me is we are doing this show, damn it, and we are doing this yeah. show tonight. Um, and uh do you wanna do you wanna softball them real quick with Togo? Sure. Yeah, let's talk about. Uh, let's talk. We're you know the first. We're gonna get right on into it tonight. Our first film of the night is definitely the Disney Plus original film Togo.
0: Intelligence, stamina, courage, <laughs> and heart. One, one business as dogs. He's undersized. He's trouble. Well, good afternoon. He's untrainable. Stop that! Ah! What does he bring to the breed? The heart of a survivor. Ran every single one of them He's not a sled dog He's a lead dog What we have in our children Is an epidemic oh, Toe the baby They found a cure Run um, trip 600 miles So
2: this this movie This movie is a, a Disney Plus original film mm-hmm. um, And this movie uh, Is directed by a man named Erickson Core Written by Tom Flynn by Walt Disney starring Willem Dafoe and Julie. Oh man. What's her name? Julian something. Um, Nicholson. Nicholson. Thank you. Um, mm-hmm. And a bunch of actors uh, y- you probably don't recognize or have heard of, especially mm-hmm. the general audience. I mean, the big draw here is Willem Dafoe um, for, for any, the, the general audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a really, it's a really, uh, I'm, I'm, I want to say off the bat, I'm happy this movie exists because we talked and we've talked about this on the show already, but like, I'm, I'm happy that, that services like Disney plus can, can effectively bring back middle budget family movies or middle budget films in general. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's kind of the upside of having too many things to choose from and, and figuring out, um, you know, uh, um, what's worth watching and what's not worth watching. You know, one of the plus sides is if you'd find something that's worth watching, it's usually really worth watching just because it feels like an older kind of like a a films from a bygone era. Um, right. You know, films that just weren't overblown, but they weren't just bare bones, indie, weird experimental movies. Um, mm-hmm. I have, have a hard time figuring out what drew Willem Dafoe to this film um, mm-hmm. because it's, it's, a, it takes place in 1925, sorry, in, in, um, in 1913, I think it goes to 25. I think it gets to 25 mm-hmm. is when, when the meat of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's about, it's, uh, it's, it's, it, it the serum run to Nome, Alaska that mm-hmm. ultimately became, um, the, the reason for being for the Iditarod race, mm-hmm. um, which we saw, oh, I forgot what the hell that name of the documentary was last year. I saw a really good documentary last year about the Iditarod and about uh, people competing on it. I forgot what the hell it's called. I'll figure it out later. But uh, the guy mm-hmm. on the cover looks like Skinny Pete from Breaking Bad. That's what I remember. <laughs> um, um, but uh, um, so. Uh, um, you know, basically the plot is that Willem Dafoe is a man named Leonard Seppla. He is, um, how, what would you call him? He's, he's a, a musher, I guess. Um, he's a musher. Okay. Mm-hmm. A musher. And, um, his whole job is running, you know, running the sled and, um, you know, he's got a wife, they live in Alaska. He's got a, you know, they've got a whole thing going on and, um, he's got to sort of be one of the legs of this basically a relay to get the, to get this, this medicine back to gnome because these kids have diphtheria and Mm -hmm. you can't get to them by any other vehicles or, or, or whatever else. Um, So the stakes are high, you know, get the medicine to the kids seems kind of like cliche, but except that it really happened. And it's one Mm -hmm. of those formulaic, you know, Plots that that's based on something that happened, kind of like John Carter right. from Mars. It's like, oh, we've seen this before. Well, but this was this was first, right?
1: You know, right. This exactly. has been
2: around for a while. Um, so, uh, if this, if this sounds familiar to you, and especially in the family film realm, it's probably because of the film Balto, which came out in the nineties, I believe, mm-hmm. well, an animated Disney film, um, concerning this very same run. Balto is one not of the Disney, not, Oh, I'm sorry. Who is, wait a second. Was it DreamWorks? Uh,
1: that's a good question. I okay. know it's, it's not Disney.
2: F- okay. Find out. I think it's, if it's DreamWorks, then was it Dom Bluth? All right. I want to know uh, this. Say,
1: yeah. It's universal.
2: Universal. Okay.
1: Yeah.
2: Um. Okay. Well, yeah. Sorry. Damn it. All right. Well, um, so this is, this is not, this is, I wouldn't say it's Disney's answer to Balto cause it's super late if it is, but it's more like what's a good story we can tell, um, you know, a pretty wholesome, simple structure and a very simple goals, very few characters, very simple setting, very heartwarming kind of message, you know, about, uh, you know, loyalty and trust and friendship and, you know, a, a man and his dog and everything. And um, uh, Togo is the runt of this pack. And then, you know, uh, Sepala doesn't want him to do anything uh, because he's bad luck or he keeps f- screwing everything up. And um, over the course of a bunch of a series of flashbacks, you sort of see how Togo ends up the front of the, of the line on the sled and how, much his Seppli's investment in Togo uh, was essential to the run being completed. Um, mm-hmm. Togo being the, the you know essentially the the historical correction this this film hopes to sort of bring to the audience is you need to know how important this dog was because so far your your biggest frame of reference for this event is a race and an animated film. Um, starring and named, named after a dog. And then the statue in central park named after Balto, that's about the same thing. And Balto, what Balto did was finish the race. He was like an anchor leg to the race, mm. but the, the bulk of this run was done by a dying dog named Togo. Um, right. and, uh, and it's significant. Um, I, I guess I'll get my rating right off the bat. Um, I give this four stars. Mm-hmm. And I gave it four stars because again, it's, it's 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 very simple. It's got a very simple goal, but I just appreciated the simplicity. I appreciated the non-rushed storytelling, um, mm-hmm. uh, which I, I th- I'm sure that also the streaming platform afforded them. Um, I appreciate. I liked. I really thought Willem Dafoe was great in this movie. Yeah. Again, I don't know yeah. what drew him to this role. I don't know if he's heard of this director. I don't know if it was it couldn't have been a fat check from Disney or anything because, because from what I can tell, they actually filmed up there. They filmed somewhere Mm -hmm. cold because he looks miserable sometimes. Right. Um, But not like, Oh my God, why did I do this? Like, like appropriately in character, miserable. Um, Willem Dafoe is great. I love Willem Dafoe. I've never seen him do a role that looked stupid or bad or that he phoned in. He's, Mm -hmm. he's an actor who enjoys acting. um, And I felt like he, really felt meaning in this movie for, for whatever reason. Again, I have no clue what, why he, you know, he doesn't need to take this role, but anyway, I'm glad he did. Um, he, he is really good at portraying like this gentleness, um, you know, as well as like this, this kind of like, you feel like he's somebody who's been through life, um, mm. you believe him as, as this person who drives these dogs, this musher, this, this 1920s, this, 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 uh, I think he's Norwegian, uh, or mm. of origin, like this, this immigrant tough man,
1: mm.
2: but who also has like, who also is kind hearted and, um, you know, distrustful of the dog, but, but not for any like nasty reason, his character really doesn't have any like huge questionable flaws, you know? So he's not a super complicated person, um, in a family film, there really shouldn't be other than, you know, doubt and other things like that, um, which, you know, since when does doubt bad? Right, right. Um, uh, but it's 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 a really heartwarming film. And, you know, I think for anything else, I gave it a four star because I was like, this is better than fine. This is something I would recommend people see. Um, and uh, mostly just for, I guess, for, I mean, he, Willem Dafoe carries the movie. Um, yeah, totally. very much so. So it's worth seeing just, just for his performance. Um, mm-hmm. I do think the emotional beats with him and the dog are great. Even if they, even mm-hmm. if they do sort of border on, I wouldn't even call it melodramatic. I thought even, I thought even the beats that were like the most emotional were not, I, I didn't feel, manipulative. I didn't feel they were manipulative within yeah. the context of a family film. Right, um, right. uh, I thought they were pretty well executed and, um, you know, and, and, Uh, I think that's, that's all I got to say, but again, like, you know, maybe it's, 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 it's not like a technical achievement, you know, just more than, more than this general impression that they must've shot at least a a good bit of like the, the non-mushing sequences on location. I'm, I'm sure they shot them, those on a green screen for control sake. Um, but you know, I, it was nice just to, they clearly were in Alaska or Vancouver Mm. or something, you know, and, and they, they, I appreciated the the scenery, the setting, whoever scouted the locations in particular. I just, I was thinking about them a lot during the movie. Like, man, they got some, they got some good vistas here, you know, they right. got some good, <laughs> some good places. And this is, you know, it's, this is a real loc a real location, which I mean, sometimes they don't do that, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was just, I don't know. I just, I enjoyed the film very much. And if you have Disney plus, it's right there when you log in. Um,
1: yeah, yeah I'd I give it a four I, star. I, I would also give it four stars. Yeah. Um, So, so while you were talking, I did look it up. They shot in Alberta. Okay. Um, So yeah, I'm I'm sure it was pretty frigid up there as well. Yeah. Um, No. So yeah, I, I, I think it was almost, at least in my head, um, it was not what I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to really focus on the actual relay for you know getting the serum and, and that of course is the the meat and potatoes of the story um but that's the forward momentum yeah. but really it's it's more of a character study it's more of a uh you know a bond between a man and a and an animal kind of a story and so you, typically i would steer clear of movies that are like we're going to see this dog from its birth to the end, you know, kind of thing. And, and I, those movies just kind of seem manipulative to me. Um, So I, if, if it had been marketed that way, I think I probably would have skipped it, but it was marketed more as like, this is the story of the relay. And, and again, while it definitely is, it's, it's more than that. Like the story continues after the relay is done Um, and I would say probably the, the, the thesis of the, like the thesis argument of the film happens after the relay is over, Mm. um, you know, where they're cementing the ideas that were sort of exemplified by the run. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I, really enjoyed it. I thought that, um, again, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Um, and it was, it was emotional, uh, I'm I'm a I'm a dog lover anyway. I've, I I own a dog, and you know these types of movies have a tendency to be emotional, and that may be why I steer clear of movies that are overly you know manipulative, like Marley and Me or whatever, where it's like <laughs> this is a story about a dog, and you're gonna cry, mm-hmm. and and that's not how this or was else. marketed. Um, so so yeah, I I I really enjoyed it. I thought it had enough like action and um, adventure to kind of uh not seem like it was just a melodrama about a guy and his dog but at the same time it kind of was that and and i liked that these two things went side by side i i I would say you know maybe i wish it it had focused more on the run a little long, like a, just a little longer. Maybe they could have even padded this another fifteen minutes or or something with the runtime. Um, I wouldn't have minded. I think that giving that run its due would have been, which they do. But I think I think really kind of cementing the 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 harshness of it would have would have gone a long way for me. But um and that's probably the the main reason why I wouldn't give it a five is I just felt like. The, the run part of it felt less important than the other part of it. And, um, and so, and that just isn't what I wanted, but at the right. same time, um, the film is better than just fine. It is, like I said, it's emotional. It has all the, the, the heartwarming elements that you would expect, but it also has, um, I, I think at least, uh, some, some good things to say in the, it, it's not argumentative. Like you need to know Togo because Balto gets all the credit, although that's in here. Right. Um, it, it, certainly, I, I just feel like it has something it wants to say, like, don't forget about the, the, the bravery of these animals. There, there's a line that Willem Defoe has in this film. Um, he says one, of one of his friends at one of the roadhouses says, um, you know, I think your dog is done. Like, don't, don't like, leave him here and continue on. And sepala gets angry and then says, you know, I'm very sorry that I spoke out of turn or that I spoke angrily to you. But, um, you know, I, I realized it was just a place of kindness, what you said. And, um, and thank you for thinking of the dogs. Not many people do. Right. right? And so I felt like that was sort of the, the, one of the, the driving forces behind this like don't forget the heroism of the animals yeah um and that and that is important i mean sure sepala is is super heroic as well don't forget that but at the same time these animals work hard and they do it um out of loyalty and love for the people that they you know that they belong to. And so don't forget their sacrifice as well. And so, especially when a dog like Togo is 12 years old and already uh, a question mark when the whole thing starts, his bravery really, you know, is not something to be glossed over in the history books. So, uh, so I enjoyed that and, and I thought it was, it was a, a fun movie. I think I would, I would definitely recommend it to most people. And, uh, and especially if you're a dog lover, especially if you enjoy um, history and uh, yeah, I think, I think, you know, I think you'll
2: enjoy it. I think the reason I didn't give it a five, two is like similar to what you were saying. I tend to just not enjoy movies that are structured like this, where it's like, here's mm-hmm. what we're doing. And then why it matters is going to be told you in a series of flashbacks. Cause I'm just like, cause, cause often the pace alternates so much between like, you know, Oh, we're, we're, we're we're mushing and you know, the ice is breaking apart and then Mm -hmm. we're going to go like, you know, when Togo was first a puppy and the sunny, I'm like, okay. You know, right, like he, right. he's like, oh, now we're going to slow down and establish some things, you know? And so mm-hmm. for me, it just triggers my brain to go, all right, you better pay attention or, or, or we're going to lose you. Or yeah, yeah. this is about to slow away. I know your heart rate's jacked, but bring it down. And I get so little sleep that when you do that to me, I want to go to bed. <laughs> right. Um, sure. I watched this in the morning in my kid's bedroom on like a, I think I watched this on Christmas um, mm. so that my wife could sleep more. And I had a, Mug of coffee with me. Um, mm. uh, but I did not fall asleep because the movie was engaging. Um, yes. but, but yeah, but that's one of those things where it's just like I, I tend to not like this structure, but thankfully, this movie sure. executed it well. Not enough to, to change my opinion of the structure. But it was just one of those things that it had working against it. I just don't prefer stories told that way. And, you know, sure. my opinion, damn it. And I'm going to exercise it.
1: <laughs> no, I I, I I, would agree. I think yeah. that a story like this almost has to be told this way um, because if if you want to build.
2: Yeah, there was there was no other way to do this one. Definitely. Y-
1: yeah. I mean, I mean, look, at the end of the day, the 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 race has to begin in the first act. Yep. It can't begin anywhere else, and so if if your film is an hour and a half, two hours, you've got thirty minutes, forty five minutes to to establish, or really less, yeah. to establish life before, and and doing that from puppy to sled dog in that amount of time would have been rushed and wouldn't have worked. Um, So either you don't do that and you simply tell the story of the, of the serum run or you do what they did, which is you start the movie, the inciting incident happens, the kids are sick, start the run. And then we will tell through flashback, the story that, you know, we are actually trying to tell here, which is how a dog endears itself to a man and how the man commits himself to the dog and they are able to do great things because they're, you know, committed to one another. And, um, and there really was no other way to tell it in this particular case, but I would agree with you that a lot of times the pacing of movies like this, it doesn't work. Yeah. I was going to say it they, they, what they did, what they did
2: right was when they go back to those flashbacks They don't, they don't linger. I mean, they're not like whip snap, like, you know, it's not like they were directed by Edgar Wright or anything, but like, they, (laughs) but you know, they, they, they don't waste time. They don't breathe too much. They just go, all right, we're going to give you some information. But while we do it, you know, here's this chemistry between, you know, Willem Dafoe and his wife, here's the dog doing stuff that's, that's that's always progressing and never lingering or trying to be overly cute. It's just like, Hey, we locked him in this little like shed while we go off. Cause he keeps escaping. And it's like, all right, he's going to get out. How's he get out? And they efficiently show you where he's looking, where he goes, how he gets there, goes up, gets out. And then, uh, and then, and escapes. And it's, and it's interesting. It's mm-hmm. not like you're just going, Jesus Christ, can we get back to the race <laughs> or the, you know, the, right, the run? Exactly. You and know. and
1: you, you mentioned the wife. That the, the flashbacks mm-hmm. are really where we get the bulk of her character development. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and where we see what this husband and this wife are like together. Mm-hmm. Um, which I thought they were believable and they had, you know, great chemistry. Um, and so and so we've talked a lot about Willem Dafoe, but I think Julianne Nicholson should be commended here because, you know, she she's got she's got a great load on her shoulders too as essentially the foil or the antagonist of the flashbacks. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, I think, I think that's a, an interesting position to put her in without ever making her seem unfair. Oh yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And also I just think was just a classic tale of a classic example in storytelling and, and of, of, of how, of how the spouse or, or specifically here, how a woman can, can sort of uh, temper her husband's, you know, Mm -hmm. gruff nature or his, his assumptions or his patterns of behavior uh, over time. I I just saw over time, like he's going to do what she wants. You know, like I I just, it was, was, to me it was, it was, it was charming um, just, just to have that little bit in there. Because again, like I feel like, a lot of films these days would try to focus too much on like let's make sure we make let's make sure we make uh, Constance, you know, empowered and and mm. this and that and it's just like okay, well this is this is 1913 in Alaska. She's pretty well empowered already right, right. and in charge of a lot of shit and um, without it being like this big her planting a flag in the ground being like, you know,
1: Th- there's no grandstanding here, no. but it, it- it's but she seems completely empowered in that and she's comfortable equal. in her relationship with with her husband. Yeah, she'll speak her mind. Yep. She'll you know even even you know brush against him. They listen to each other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it it seems like an an actually a pretty good picture of a
2: marriage. And it's weird because people use the term problematic when it comes to like norms or whatever. You know, you know how the term problematic is used these days. Yeah. 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 I find movies that don't do stuff like this problematic. I mm. find I find overly progressive storytelling problematic because sure. you 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 muddy the waters or you you tell too specific of a story that that that, that people can't relate to because it's just like well you know I well, want it's it's just a little thing with me it doesn't really have that much to do with Togo, so I won't linger on it but or, like
1: or 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 you'll tell a story that wouldn't have taken place at that time period right, right? like you mentioned 1913 mm-hmm. you know if it had been any any bigger like if her her independence had been any more a part of this thing yeah it probably would have seemed time period inaccurate
2: yeah and i also think um i think that if he had been like more of a pushover Mm. That wouldn't have made sense either, because it's like you're telling me this this guy who immigrated to you know America and he's he owns all this land with his wife and they do all this work and stuff. You're going to tell me he's just going to like lean, you know, he's just going to fall over at the first bit of resistance from his you know overly you know his overly argumentative wife. You know what I mean? Like it would have. Mm-hmm. So it just it's one of those little things I I think about and and that's something that family films I feel like always did to a perfectly acceptable extent. And then like, we got to these days where one of the things that went out the door with family films was just a simple portrayal of marriage. Like there's no need to, to, to make a statement about, about gender equality or whatever. um, At least overtly in a family film about a dog, you -hmm, know, mm -hmm. save that for like, for for more emotional dramas for adults, you know, or be subtle about it. And this film was just like, Hey, this is her, this is him. And, uh, it's not a big deal. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't know. Anyways. Yeah. I said so Togo's a four star for sure. I, I definitely recommend anybody watch it, especially if you, my kids dipped in and out. Um, you know, there was parts that they didn't care that much about. Um, I just think it's cause it wasn't animated and, sure. and, and there are parts that they, you know, my son would kind of like, you know, crawl over and sort of park himself and look at it for a while. Um, Mm -hmm. typically the, the sled sequences, he would sort of like, Oh, what you got there? Come on over. Mm -hmm. And, uh, anytime where there was like, you know, impetuous music, like, Oh, he's escaping the thing. My son wanted to go look at that. My son enjoys nonverbal story, Mm -hmm. um, a lot actually. So whenever there was no talking and only action, he came over. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, kids, I think probably older kids, my kids are five and, and three, Uh, so maybe older kids um, or if you have dogs you might get kids who are a little bit more like oh it's a movie about dogs but we don't have pets so my kids are just like oh okay who cares Mm -hmm. right right um, okay cool well um, let's 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 you want to talk about I don't know I mean is it time to talk about Star Wars
1: yeah let's do
0: it all right Um instinct Ah. feeling the force brought us together
2: we're not alone good people will fight if we lead them
1: people keep telling me they know me no one does
0: Long have I waited, and now you're coming together.
1: Is your undoing? Ooh, Star Wars Episode 9, The Rise of Skywalker. Um, so the time is here. We have to talk about this because it's an internet requirement, I think, at this point. Um, <laughs> we, lose our, we lose our license. <laughs> right. You, you are kicked off the internet if you don't have a Star Wars opinion. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm going to give you mine. Uh, so, just a little bit of a recap here: Star Wars Episode Nine, uh, although it's not called Episode Nine except for in the opening title crawl, is directed by J.J. Abrams and also written by J.J. Abrams with Chris Terrio, who you may know uh, from a few things that are not so good and <laughs> something that is pretty good. So, uh, yeah, it's you know, I have no need to beat a dead horse. I'm DVM, um, and the story is it's star Wars, man. Like what do you expect? (laughs) It's about good guys versus bad guys and a really hammy villain cackling. Yeah. That's the story. Um, so (laughs) (laughs) it's, it it really, it's the story. Okay, fine. Here, here's the deal. Um, so coming off of the last Jedi, uh, Ray is training with Leia and I could not be less interested in recapping this. Uh, Ray is <laughs> is training with with Leia um, about Force stuff. She's training to be a Jedi, I guess, mm-hmm. whatever. And uh, and pin. Uh, uh, pin? God, what are their names? <laughs> <laughs> Poe and yeah. Finn, whatever their next. Pin,
0: Pin and Teller are there.
1: Pin and, <laughs> Pin and Teller are here. The whole time, Finn uh, is
2: just talking about, you know what? There is no God and there is no force and there is no Jedi. <laughs> Why do I sound like Seth Rogen? Sorry. Uh, no, really I, close, I can't close. do Pin's voice too much. Right.
1: Here, and, and here's my Teller impression. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty good, right? Uh, no, so um, – yeah, Poe and Finn are still there. They're, you know, doing stuff. And uh, I don't know, C-3PO is involved this time around. The whole thing is is Kylo Ren at the beginning of the film uh, finds a Sith Wayfinder. Mm-hmm. The Sith Wayfinder allows him, uh, it, basically it's a GPS that, uh, that allows him to go to a planet called Exegol. Exegol is where... Emperor Palpatine uh, is, and uh, he has been sending out his voice via, I don't know, weird communications for the past little bit. I guess between movies, and uh, so Kylo Ren goes to find him, and um, when he does, he uh, is told, "Bring me Ray," or whatever. I don't know what 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 he calls her, but anyway, <laughs> so she he wants Ray, whatever that girl. Bring the young Jedi to me. Uh. And so and so freaking Kylo Ren goes to find Ray. Okay, there's mm-hmm. the story. Right. Um So um here's the here's the interesting slash not interesting thing. Uh the film treats The Last Jedi as canon, for sure. I mean, the big things like the death of Luke Skywalker happened, you know, all of that stuff. But <laughs> At the end of the day, the themes, the ideas set up in The Last Jedi are completely swept under the rug. Um, Even some of the characters completely swept under the rug. Uh, For instance, uh, Rose Tico, who was introduced in the last film, um, she's in this, but it probably has like maybe two minutes of screen time. Not much whatsoever. I mean, I mean, granted, it's it's peppered in throughout the entire film. It's not like she is only in act one. She's in the whole movie, but she doesn't do anything. She's just kind of there. And um, so anyway, I don't know. The point is um, it sweeps The Last Jedi under the rug, I guess, because it was pretty divisive. And um, instead goes back to The Force Awakens and kind of picks up on what J.J. left off. Fast. Fun. Don't ask questions. Yes, correct. And and so you would expect like, oh, well, then that must mean this trilogy feels disjointed. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and so what you have is like a middle chapter that does not really matter except for, you know, it's canon, Plot. right? Like things that happen, happen. Yeah. But it doesn't really matter mm. thematically. It doesn't really matter in like any big character ways. Right. Uh, so... Yeah, you know, whatever, missed opportunity. But uh, I didn't like the last Jedi anyway. So, um, the Force Awakens m- moves very, very quickly. So quickly, in fact, that it, it feels like w- they are attempting to do Act Two and Act Three together. Yeah, um, and-, and and I don't mean that in the context of this film, but but if if the last Jedi was supposed to be Act Two of this, you know, three film story um and it sweeps that under the rug then this kind of has to pick up the 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 pieces and do what a second act of a trilogy should do before it goes into the the finale but what that leads to is a very 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 rushed film and and so you'll have like a scene that sets something up and and then it's paid off in the very next freaking scene <sighs> So, so one example of this, um, and, and I'm going to keep this spoiler free. So for those of you that that have yet to see S- The Rise of Skywalker and still want to, um, you're not going to be spoiled by this. But there's a character that they think is dead. Um, all indication is that this character dies. And the very next scene, we see that this character is not dead. And so, so it's so crazy to me that they don't let anything have a moment it's just like boom 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 um another example uh well it's just bad it's just bad also because like
2: not only is it solved just too quickly but like the chief harm that does is there's no like weight to it um, yeah. that there's no, there's no feeling of, of loss or anything like that. Like it's, it's a character. I think I can at least say that it's a character who, who is presumed, who is, who is indicated and be, you're basically told they're dead and that it was Ray's fault yes, that this correct. character is dead. And so. Ah, so awesome. f- you've, you've been digging into some spoilers. Oh yeah. I, I know a lot of things about this okay, and, okay, and, okay. and, 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 and what that does is. You know, whenever something like that happens, like that guilt should weigh heavily on your protagonist. Yeah. Um think of civil war, like, you know, Tony Stark feeling responsible for not only just like a bunch of deaths in Sokovia, but that one kid that 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 um uh that he's that his his mom, that woman who stops him and says, like, you mm-hmm. know, who's gonna avenge my son? And he's like, Oh, yeah. he researches him and he tells all the tells all the Avengers like Here's all the stuff this guy wanted to do and now he can't because of us. Like the right. the, the, the guilt weighing on your protagonist is really dramatically compelling. So in the next yes. scene, if you just go, never mind, everything's fine, it's like, oh, thank God, I don't have to feel like shit now.
1: But, but what's weird is is so the audience knows that this character's alive, but the the characters don't. Oh and so oh. the next couple scenes. Oh, it's even worse. The next couple scenes, like it, they proceed to be like, well, what would this character do if they were still alive? Right. Well, we can't just quit now because yeah. then they'll have died You're for nothing. You're just shouting at the and, screen like, "It's turn around. <laughs> right. And we're, Yeah. We're all like, they're not dead. Oh, Come on. God, that's um, worse. Uh, an, another example. So in this film, um, Poe, they introduce Carrie Russell plays a character that's like an old uh, flame of, of Poe. She um, and Poe have some sort of history together, some romantic history. Whatever. Keep saying Poe and Flame, and I'm thinking of the Legend of Zelda, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> Sorry. And, and 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 so so Zori Bliss is her name, and Zori yeah. Bliss like holds up this coin, and and she's like, I have this coin. I finally got this after working for so long. And then he's like, whoa, is that the coin that gets you into any Imperial base ever for any reason? Not just that, Poe yeah yeah. it's basically like so exposition heavy it's essentially it's like, like think a Q- of the qVC commercial for this coin yeah, well, I, I was gonna say so think of the dark Knight Rises yeah. when when catwoman uh goes into that one guy's i can't remember his name goes into that one guy's place and she's like I need the clean slate and he's like you mean the clean slate that will wipe your th- <laughs> and, and and like basically telegraphs to the audience everything yeah. and what th- this is and so poe <laughs> does that In he's case like,
2: the name wasn't enough on the nose
1: yeah here's exactly what
2: the clean slate does yeah.
1: And, and so Bo's like, you mean the th- the coin that gets you into any first order or starship <laughs> or whatever? And she's like, yeah. And then like the next, and so you're like, oh, okay. So like by the end of the film, like that's going to be important, right? She's going to do something. And then like at the, at the next scene, she's like, take this with you. And, and he's like, oh, are you, are you for real? And she's like, yeah. And he's like, cool. And he immediately puts it in the thing that gets him access to the thing. And so within the, (laughs) within two back to back scenes, it's introduced and used. Yep. And it's just like, that happens so often. Uh... Um, now the film has some good ideas in it. I think, um, you know, there, there's particularly particularly some things with Luke and Leia and some of these old characters that I think are kind of it's kind of interesting and and I think that Ray is infinitely more, likeable in the hands of JJ Abrams than she was with Ryan Johnson. Mm-hmm. Um, some people might say she's less interesting with JJ and I guess I can see that in that she's less confusing, but <laughs> she's so much more likable with JJ. Yeah. Um, so so there's there's um And again, these the f- films are are simple, they there they're are for children. They're right. so, they're
2: sophisticated so the adults can enjoy them enough. But the the basic elements of this of this the story of the characters are kind of meant to be archetypal and pretty basic. I, I I always say like I respect I respect the Last Jedi for trying to do and Ryan Johnson for trying to do stuff with the Last Jedi, but the mistake was you can't do some of those things he wanted to do as a filmmaker in that context because serialized storytelling this is what Marvel does well. Serialized storytelling kind of dictates a specific kind of. Um, director and direction and there's certain artistic liberties you can take with with, with, a, with a serialized movie and there's certain things you cannot take. Um, mm-hmm. You need to agree on the flow of the arc and the story with other directors. There, there needs to be more forethought put into these things. You can't just have someone Doing the first, the second film, and going, you know what, we're gonna all that stuff you want to do, we're not gonna do that anymore. And then when the third director drops out, the first director comes to direct the third thing, and goes, All right, all that shit I want to do, we're doing it again, and right, and, and just do it. And and so, one of the things being like, you know, having it's, it's nice that they want to try and give her some depth, I guess, in the second film, but since it really goes nowhere, and it's in the story, and the film is better served with her being a, a little more straightforward and likable. I prefer mm. that, you know, Yeah. especially in, a, in an adventure film like this. I don't have time to think too much about.
1: Well, so to me, one, one of the one of the most interesting scenes or at least the most likable for her is early in the film. They go to this this alien planet. I don't remember its name. It's another sand planet. It's not one mm. we've been to before, but it's another one. And and so they go to this desert planet and there's like the this alien culture there and they're like in the middle of this celebration it's in the trailer. And, uh, and so they're, they're celebrating there and, and Ray and the, and the crew go down into this group and they're kind of like walking among the celebration. And this, this alien stops her and says, uh, and C-3PO is like translating or whatever. And she says, um, who are you? And, and Ray just kind of like smiles, like uh, she's a Jedi who's here to help, these, these, you know, natives and, and she's like, I I, I don't know, she's intrigued, but also friendly and also like super, I don't know, almost like motherly to these, these people. And, and it's so, I don't know, just likable, right. To see like this, this Jedi who is, uh, I don't know, trying to help people, trying to be friendly, trying to, I don't know. She's harmony in the galaxy, right? I don't know, and and so like that. That to me is so interesting. And then and then it's like. I understand that with the last Jedi, there's, you know, layers to her, you know, but she's so preoccupied with like my family, who my family, what are they? Who are they? Who am I? What am I? And, and it's, to me, that's not interesting. I can see how to some, maybe it is, but to me it's not. And, and so here you have, um, a Ray who's a little more, uh, I don't know, comfortable in her own skin. And, and yes, that scene that I'm talking about does eventually devolve into, uh, what is your name? And Ray says, my name is Ray. And then the alien says, and what is your family name? Mm -hmm. And she's like, I don't have one. I'm just Ray. And, and I'm like, okay, like, yeah, it still was about her parentage or whatever, but, but it's, it's kind of like her being a little more comfortable, I guess, with the fact that she's just who she is. Yeah. Yeah. And that to me is more interesting yeah. than, than anything else. And, and, and she's just so much more likable here. And, uh, and so there's another scene where, uh, the, the, the gang kind of fall down into this pit and there's this serpent creature
0: mm. and,
1: and this, this big snake or whatever is going to attack them. And, <laughs> and she realizes that the snake is hurt. And so she like steps into danger to like soothe this beast. You know, this beast. Right. And I'm like, this is interesting. Yeah. This is cool. Character interaction. Yeah. I like this. Yeah. But there was nothing that interesting to me in, in the last Jedi because she's just worried about herself.
2: Yeah. It's all introspective.
1: Yeah. And, and all of this is her trying to help others. And to me, that's what the Jedi should be. So this is more interesting to me. Um, so there's good ideas here. Um, but by and large, like the movie is so fast and very sloppily written. I'm going to give you one example of this. It's not a spoilers, um, or I don't know, whatever. I don't think it's spoilers. Um, and, and so here, here's the thing. They, they have to find this dagger. It's this Sith dagger. And if they find this Sith dagger, it'll have like runes on it that tell her where to find, a Sith wayfinder, which will tell her where to find Exegol. You heard that right. She has to find a thing to find a thing to find a thing. (laughs) And this is just mystery box storytelling, MacGuffins all over the place. And like a Russian doll of
2: MacGuffins.
1: Yes. And and, they call um, them MacGuffins over there. MacGuffins. Ray's last name should just be MacGuffin. Um, (laughs) I'm Ray MacGuffin. (laughs) Chekhov. Yeah, right. And so, um, so what what ends up happening, right? Is is so you got to find the thing. It's the dagger, and the dagger. Uh, so, so tell me if this makes any sense to you. This is so dumb. So she has this dagger. And she's like, well, it has the runes on it and it tells me where to go, but it doesn't really tell me where the Wayfinder is. It just kind of tells me what planet it's on. So they go to the planet they get to the th- – basically there's this giant ocean and in the ocean is the crashed wreckage of the Death Star, the second Death Star. And, okay. and she like is looking out over the wreckage and like recognizes it I guess. So she pulls <laughs> out the dagger and lines up the dagger with the wreckage and only now realizes that a part of this dagger extends and so she extends this part of the dagger and it's basically like an arrow that points so the the lines on the dagger line up with the wreckage and the new extended thing points to a point like a part of the wreckage that she's going to have to go into to find the dagger or the wayfinder. So, a couple things are weird here. One, it requires you to stand in one specific spot that it doesn't tell you where it is, but luckily she is. Because if you were on the other side of the ocean, or, I don't know, three miles down to the left, you, you're not going to find the the lines that match the dagger because you have to be standing in a very specific spot because that's how perspective works. And then, uh, then... The biggest hurdle is that this is an ancient dagger.
2: Yeah, this this crash was very recent.
1: <laughs> but the crash was so recent, so how yeah. does it line up with the thing? Yeah, would you have had thing? to go
2: there by boat before?
1: <laughs> but but when the dagger was made, the Death Star wasn't even made yet, much less destroyed yet, much it's, less. It's a it's pointing a, to a thing. It's an update. It's a patch. It's stupid, is what it is, and. <laughs> And, and the, the story is filled with that. It feels a lot like, hey, we have to so, – so when you're writing like a detective story, oftentimes you might be tempted to like start at the end and write backwards, right? Like, OK, well, here's what the murder is. Let's go back and kind of fill in the details backwards so that then when you watch it forwards, it makes sense. Well, this film kind of feels like that in that they wrote things like that, like, oh, the dagger matches the thing. Now we have to go back and explain the dagger. Oh, they get into the ship. Well, how? Well, now we have to go back and explain that they have the coin that Zori Bliss gives them. And so it's like it's essentially writing backwards like they would, they, they would write themselves into a hole Oh, they have to get onto an, into a first order ship. Well, how do they do that? Well, they need a key card. Well, where's the key card? Zori Bliss has it. Okay, we're going to introduce Zori Who Bliss. we introduce the key card. Yeah. And and it only exists so that we can write ourselves out of the corner that we've wrote, written ourselves into. And usually when and, you
2: do that, and like I can see doing that, but what you're supposed to do after that is, okay, now let's rewrite this script on a, you know, on a, let's do a pass on the script where we try to make it not so obvious that that's what we did. Mm-hmm. Let's try to make this look like it's written forwards.
1: Well, well, here's one way that you do that. Don't put the scenes back to back. <laughs> yeah. Separate them by an act. Like, set a thing up and then pay it off later. Yeah. And and you reward your audience for paying attention. But here, you, of course, I'm paying attention. It happened to 12 seconds ago. Right. Like, I, I know what happened 12 seconds ago. And so, you know, there's, there's this sort of thing where – it, it, it's just it's just so fast, but but th- but this sort of is is another one of my points, which is when you watch this movie, I found myself not hating it the first time through. Like, well, I've only seen it first one time, but but I found myself not really hating it. And then the end starts, and I'm like, oh, I do hate this. And <laughs> and then and and then when the movie's over, I start looking back on all the stuff that I was like, oh, this isn't so bad. And I'm like, oh wait, it's really bad. Like mm. the dagger, that's stupid. Mm. But what happens is the movie moves so fast that my brain didn't have time to conceptualize the problems. Yeah. It's, it's It's literally like I was watching a movie on like on fast forward. So I'm just like getting everything like shoved down my throat. So I can't like shut it off and like, oh, this is a dialogue scene. I have a minute to like think back on what I've just seen. Or this is a scene, it's like an action scene. There's no dialogue, it's just like movement. Hmm. Okay, so I have a minute to think back on what I've seen so far. I never had that opportunity. And it was just during the last act where everything got really goofy that I was like, all right, I'm checking out of this, now let me rethink some things. And and that's when it kind of hits you. So I want to talk about the third act for a second. Okay. So again, spoiler free, but the third act is so incredibly weird in that so palpatine's alive um and and how exactly this happens i'm not entirely clear on but 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 palpatine's alive and um and he has this master plan wherein he will take control of the galaxy okay so it's exactly his plan from before um but with a, a twist i guess And, and so, um, so how do I do this without spoiling? I'm just going to say this. So there, there is a, a point where, um, and this may not be nearly as funny to, to the audience listening to this, but, um, in the theater, I saw this with my brother and, and like the audience kind of like took this as like a serious scene. My brother and I were rolling laughing at this. So, so what happens is. Uh, Palpatine is talking to Rey, that's not a spoiler of course they're going to talk at some point in the third act and and so they're chatting and he's like he's like I want to show you, I don't know why I almost gave him an accent, anyway he's like <laughs> I want to show you what I'm doing and so he opens up like the top of this dome where he is and and she looks up and sees like that he's taking over things right and and he starts laughing hey, hey ha, 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 ha and he he literally like holds his hands so so he holds his hands like parallel like the same level as his nipples mm-hmm. so not high mm. right his hands are at, at chest height sure and he just starts jazz handsing and lightning comes out of his <laughs> jazz hands oh, and nipples. and lightning goes way up in the sky and fills the sky like some epic display of his evil and he's like ah, 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 ah. And, and he's just jazz handsing at, at chest level <laughs> presumably he can't raise his arms I don't know but he's <laughs> just like ah, ah, ah. And, and it's the goofiest I've ever seen Palpatine and he gets goofy mm-hmm. but this this is so incredibly hammy I, I, I've talked to some people he's very they, old
2: they, Dustin he,
1: he, gosh
2: he doesn't give a shit anymore
1: I know. I know. And I've talked to some people who are like Emperor Palpatine is like the best part of the movie. And I'm like, are you kidding? First of all, Emperor Palpatine has no reason to be in this movie. And it kind of ruins everything about Return of the Jedi mm. that he's not dead. So I hate that he's even here. Mm. And then third, and and, and 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 I don't even know if that was two points. Anyway, thirdly, he, he has the hammiest performance and up till now, like yeah, C3PO is a little hammy, I guess. But like Oscar Isaac is kind of playing this kind of seriously and and of course Daisy Ridley is. Yeah. But like then you have Ian McDagmarid who's just like chewing this scenery. And it is the weirdest tonal shift I have ever seen. And it is hilarious. And I guess I'm the only one because everyone in my audience was like, Ooh, he's evil. Mm. And I'm, and I'm just laughing hysterically because this is not scary. It's significantly less scary than it was in return of the Jedi. And I don't care about this at all at this point. Um, and then, and then, uh, it also has the audacity to kind of be exactly the same ending as Return of the Jedi, mm. where you've got like – if you have like your your Luke, Han, and Leia, where Han and Leia are on uh, indoor doing Ewok stuff, now you have Poe and Finn doing stuff like – trying to take down ships and whatnot. So they're off doing their thing while Ray is fighting the emperor. Like this is exactly the same ending. This is exactly what everybody complained about with the force awakens is that JJ just fi- did a find and replace on the script f- from a new hope and just like did the same movie over again. Well, this third act is the exact same thing over again, down to like, join me. And I'm like, this is the same thing guys. There's nothing new here, and even down to like, that. Uh, I said I wasn't going to spoil anything, but there, there's like, there's character things here that that are like in just it's exactly the same dang thing, mm-hmm.
0: and right, and it's right.
1: so ridiculous and unearned. It's really hard to talk about without spoiling. No, I, I think I know what you're referencing though. When 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 you when, when you see this uh, and like a few months pass, we'll maybe we'll go back to it. Maybe if I feel like it, but sure. but the point, is, if you want to, we'll do it. Um, I'll decide.
2: I'll try to make a call whether or not I can put you through it.
1: Right, you, you decide. Um, <laughs> but but the, but the thing is, like there there's a lot of like big character moments at the end of this that are completely unearned because all of the character changes happen in the third act like there's no time for for us, the audience to, I don't know, feel these these character changes and shifts. and so they're completely unearned. You've got like really weird uh, character interaction between two specific characters that is just completely left field. Um, and, you know, like at the end of the day, I don't hate – I guess this is the the general statement here. I don't hate the direction that these movies were going in. It it was always going to go where it went. The problem was that even though we all knew where it was going, it was doing a piss poor job of getting us there. Mm. And so now that it's there, it's not that I hate where it went. It's that I don't – if – If it's all about the journey and not the destination and the journey sucks, then the destination is not, doesn't feel earned and it doesn't feel cathartic. It just feels like, oh yeah, of course that's where it ended. We all knew it was going to end there. And so like go back to whatever you thought during the Force Awakens where you're like, oh, this character is going to go here and this character is going to end up here and this character is going to end up here. You're Right that's exactly where they're all going to end. No matter where, no matter what Ryan Johnson throws in there to like, oh maybe not. Yeah, it, go back to the Force Awakens. It's exactly what you think is going to happen, happens. The problem is Ryan Johnson didn't get the memo, so that whole movie is a terrible does a terrible job of getting us to the destination, and JJ himself does a terrible job of getting us to the destination because it's either rushed, or, you know, the Force Awakens was just kind of too early to really move those pieces along. Right. But but at the end of the day, it's it just doesn't work. And so again, it's not that I hate where it went because I, I've heard the the term controversial thrown around about this film, like, ooh, some of the decisions they've made are controversial. I don't think so. I think all the decisions they made are exactly what we've all thought they were gonna do. The controversial thing is that no one knows how to feel about it because we don't like the 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 filmmakers haven't done a proper job of setting up what we should be feeling at any given point um so there's no statement made by the writers to tell us what the writers think things should look like and i don't know if that makes sense in the broad terms, but maybe after you see it you'll you'll understand kind of where I'm going. But but the 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 point is I don't hate the decisions made here. I hate how we got to them. And and the last like four minutes of this movie um, is completely unearned. I know you know what this is because you, you actually sent me a video of Star Wars fans like freaking out about it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. but, but there again, like, I didn't feel like it was anything to freak out about right. because where, where that went was exactly where we all thought it was going to go. Yeah. The problem is that nobody, like nobody, the, the, the journey to get there was so stupid that now that it's here, it's like, Oh crap. Like this is it. There's nothing else. And so, um, so anyway, Uh, all that to say of all of these movies, I might would watch this one first, like rewatch this one first. I know, I know I just said a lot of really bad things about this movie. The movie sucks, (laughs) but, but so do the other two. And, (laughs) and, and the the case is like the case that we have before us is, is a strange one where we have a franchise that the the first three films are still the only good films that have been made from this franchise, and granted, opinions are opinions, but my opinion is those are the only three good movies. Everything else is sloppy, stupid, and irrelevant. And so, so, but I would watch this one first, if only because it's the end. If only because I agree with a few of the choices. Like I, I, I'll I'll give you this. Luke Skywalker in this film is far more like Luke Skywalker, like the Luke Skywalker that I've always wanted—an adult, grown Luke Skywalker to be. Um, which makes me think that's what JJ was always going for, because, or maybe, maybe they are just course correcting, correcting from the Force away or from the Last Jedi. But, but like this, Luke is the Luke I've kind of always wanted him to be—wise. Um, And, you know, a a, a teacher Um, and and that's and so stuff like that, like I can get behind. It's just it's just a sloppy mess of a story to get to those moments that I do kind of like. But when I think back about like The Force Awakens, there's nothing there that I like. Like there's no good ideas. It's just kind of like this is passable. And The Last Jedi, I generally pretty much hate. So for me, like, I guess I would watch this one before I would watch any of the others. And I didn't do my homework to go back and see what star rating I gave the others. So I'm just going to throw this out here. I guess I'm going to give this like. Man, it's so tough. Like, I want to say a two and I want to say a three because I I just I'm just glad it's over. But let's just call it a two and a half mm-hmm. and, and call it a day. It It's kind of dumb, but at least it's done. And, and that's, that's the best I can say about it. It's dumb, but it's done. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, look, in terms of, should you go see the rise of Skywalker? You already know if you're going to go see the rise of Sky Skywalker. You don't need me to persuade you. Like you're either going to see it or you're not going to see it. Or, like I'll see it eventually kind of a thing. So I'm not, I'm not even going to throw out whether I recommend it, but I don't recommend it, but I, but you know what I mean? Like like you're going to see it. And if you're a completionist, you're going to see it. So I guess just watch it, but, but just don't expect anything big about it because it's, it's a franchise or let's just say this trilogy. It's a trilogy that's just mired in, inconsistency and it feels like two filmmakers fighting over what they want the trilogy to be. And that's a sad place to be because all it would have taken is like one or two meetings where mm-hmm. they hash out what the series is. And if you don't get on board with that, then don't make a movie. Yeah, And, and it's like, did you, did, did JJ never sit down with Ryan Johnson and just say, this is what it is. Or I, at the I end don't of the day, think
2: he did because he wasn't going to do that third film. Like he had, a, he had yeah, an, he, sure. I, I think he, I think he outlined the trilogy and then did the first one. Cause who was supposed to do this film originally? Alan Trevorrow. Right. So, and then, so I think, I think what happened was he did his thing and he laid out the movies and he directed the first one. And then Kathleen Kenny was like, all right, well, you know we'll, we'll take it from here and, you know, we'll at least start with your structure and then Ryan Johnson was like, "I don't want to do all this stuff," and she was like, "Cool." And then you know, and, and and I think that I guess, and it's and and so it was probably more of like discussions between Ryan Johnson and Colin Trevorrow, who you know were probably more in communication, you know, the two of them and Kathleen Kennedy about what this is going to be. And then when Colin Trevorrow got fired or dropped out or whatever, it was like, "Oh." who are going to get to direct? And they and they decided to hire the person, instead of hiring someone else, mm. really anybody else,
1: yeah. yeah. who
2: they could have said, listen, it's late in the game, here's the third movie, just so you know, this is the plan. Are you in yeah. or out? And yeah. that person would be like, okay. But then they decided to get JJ because they knew he could deliver the film and he delivered on the first one. But the big mistake there was, but he came in and said, hey, uh, What did you do to my arc? Yeah, and it was like, Hey, well, JJ, I mean, whatever, we're here now. He's like, No, 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 we're doing here's what I wanted to do in the first place. And it seemed it comes off to me as really petty of him to cling to that because you should know. I mean, if it's a relay, and you should know as a screenwriter, like, you set out and you make a movie and you do an act one wherever act two takes you for better or worse, you can't just in Act three retcon stuff yeah. and just change it. You have to go where the characters go. And so for better or worse, you know, I accepted choices that were made in, in force awake. I like force awaken just fine. I accepted mm. in, in anything I didn't like about it. I accepted that because I figured, okay, well, there's gonna be a reason once the trilogy is done that these choices are made. And, and, and I, that's a lot of my rationale. of The last Jedi is Okay. I'm a little uncomfortable with some of these things, but if they can pay this off, that's fine. But if they make a third film where those things, where the director basically says, No, no, I'm with you. I don't like those things. Let's never see them through and let's just change it. It might yeah. make for a more watchable movie in some ways. But yeah. when you basically spend the third film being the second and third film, essentially yeah. laying a bunch of groundwork that you, it's basically JJ saying, Here's what I wish would have been in The Last Jedi, but I'm yeah. going to put it in this one anyway. Mirror, mirror. So you right. have an, you have an overly rushed film, you have an overlong film, you have an overstuffed film, a lot of plots, no breathing room, and it just comes off like like you said, like this petty little squabble between here's what we should have done with the movies, and 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 I just feel like as much as the Last Jedi made choices, made decisions, they should have stuck with that, and they should have found a way to make those work for the trilogy and let them play out.
1: Right. I mean, it, it, it's, it's as simple, so you, you honestly. You like, could have at least said the trilogy was cohesive. Right. It, it honestly is as simple as JJ coming in and saying, okay, so if the idea of the last Jedi, I guess in, I guess in theory, I don't even know what the last Jedi is trying to say, but, but like kill the past, burn it. If you have to, like, we're going to do our own new thing, whatever. Uh, you can work that into the story where, the characters realize that that's not that's not the way forward, right? I mean, because right? that that, like, is, that
2: is Kylo Ren's thing. That's not the hero's mantra. That's definitely that's that's his thing. Like kill the past, burn
0: it
1: down. And but then in this film, like at the very beginning, he rebuilds his helmet right. because he's back to the Kylo Ren from the Force Awakens. Completely forgetting what happened in the Last Jedi, essentially. See, I can,
2: I, I can, I can justify that. I can say that through sure. through his through his interactions with Ray, the character decided and grew, or learned or grew that. No, I don't need to kill the past. Like this is my this is my identity or whatever. I don't know. But that's but what I'm saying. Like I was seventeen. Like the film,
1: <laughs> right? If if JJ wanted to do that to basically counteract what was set up in the Last Jedi, then do it in the story. Yeah. Like like create a story reason or like have Luke show up as a force ghost and say, yeah, I was wrong. Yep. You know or whatever. You know because. So you mean the first I, time you
2: see Kylo Ren, he's just wearing the helmet and inex- inexplicably.
1: No, he reforms it,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but it's really not like the,
2: stated or explained.
1: Yeah, I mean, it sort of is. I mean, there there's a key thing that he does right before he reforms it. But at the at the end of the day, it still feels weightless. Mm. Um, the, the reason to do that, um, because then he reforms it and you see it again in like one or two scenes, but I would still say the majority of the film is spent without it. Hmm. So it's like mostly he just wears it when he's ordering his crew around. Right. And then when he's not, he's not wearing it. And I'm like, well, this is kind of pointless, but, but yeah, I mean, look at, at the end of the day, what, what irks me the most is that they did not have a, I mean, I guess Kathleen Kennedy is the Kevin Feige of this, but, but they didn't have a Kevin Feige who says, here's the way, like, here's our tone. Here's how it works. Here's the story we're building towards. Here's the, the parameters in which you can operate. Just making sure everything tracks. Yeah and and like you know again at the, at the risk of sounding like a Marvel shill or whatever sure. like th- at least Kevin Feige had the opportunity or had had the foresight to say if this is going to work if we're going to tell a story over multiple films it has to be coherent. Yeah. And and this is how we're gonna do it. But Kathleen Kennedy, it seemed like she just said, okay, JJ, whatever you want to do. Okay, Ryan, whatever you want to do. Okay, right. JJ, do whatever again. Like it comes off where, like
2: my contract's up in twenty twenty one and I don't really give a fuck
1: how this turns out. Right. Where was her like oversight saying, Okay, look, Ryan, if you do that. Then this is where we go in the right. third film. Yeah, and then when JJ, when when the offer goes out to JJ, will you do it? It's not JJ, will you do it and do whatever you want? It's JJ. Here's the end. Now. Here's where we are. It doesn't matter yeah. what you thought during the Force Awakens. This is now our here's end. Here's the
2: script. Here's the treatment that the that the, the, the Chris Terrier wrote. Here's here's where we went. Here's here's what we are doing now with this film. Are you interested? Or at
1: the very least, Kathleen Kennedy should have like note cards and it, say, "Here's the beats we're hitting." Cynically. Here's the. Here's the here's the end of these arcs. Get us to that.
2: Yeah, that's all we need. And cynically, I would say that like you know, it's the perfect opportunity for a big studio to to hire to lowball and hire a lesser known director and just say, "Here's what you're doing." Yeah. You know, do I get to make any choices? No. Right. Okay. You know, like it, it was the perfect opportunity to do that. And for some reason, I think they felt like, no, we need a director that people recognize. You know, and, well, and, and it's and it's one of the reasons they went after JJ. It's like people need to know the this trilogy is on, on stable ground. Let's get yeah. the Force Awakens so you know positive, I guess. So, you know, like let's get JJ Abrams. Yep. And it's just like JJ's JJ's star is kind of faded to me. It's not that he, he has it's not that he's like not a good director. It's just like he's not an interesting director to me anymore. Um yep. his name on a project no longer goes, Oh, this is gonna be fun. It's just gonna be like, oh,
1: this is gonna be kind of hollow. Yes. You know? Well, and so so here's the thing. Like, like all they would have had to do is treat this like a television show because because when you're doing a a, a movie series, it kind of is yeah. a TV show in yeah. a way. Like think about the it's a influence limited series that like that like um Marcus and McFeely has had over at Marvel. That that they're they've been able isn't that their name? I'm yeah. yeah. myself. Okay. Um th- they've they've had an opportunity to tell a story over multiple films and do that with their unique voice, right? Whereas in this, it's like each director gets to write their own thing. And and I can understand the appeal of that as a director. But at the end of the day, and Ryan Johnson should know this: that when you go onto a TV show, you you're not you don't get to write anything. No. You just get to you get given the script and you make it look tonally consistent and you don't go way outside the parameters of the shot design and the the way that the story is told week to week. And Ryan Johnson directed some of the best episodes of Breaking Bad and I have to assume it's because he didn't write them and because he simply made it look like Breaking Bad. So why did they not do the same thing here and give him the script and maybe he can make a pass on it, whatever, but this is your script. You, it's, We're hiring you as the director, direct it, make it look like Star Wars, but this is the story we're telling. It's it's one of those things where like,
2: if you're going to get people who prefer to like, to write their own stuff, who, who like to at least have a hand in it, like... You you can't make it too much more of a series, like you know people like James Mangold or Ryan Johnson or Christopher Nolan or something like that. It's like you you have to like Chris Nolan did his own trilogy, and he did it because because he could have a hand in the storytelling, you know, beginning, middle, and end for three films, overarching you know arc, and all the Ryan Johnson examples are standalone movies where. You know, he's either the sole credit on the on the screenplay, or he's a co writer on it. But, but he has decided as a filmmaker, like this is what I want to do, and it's completely within my control to do it. And, but, but yeah, when you get into this episodic films or, or a series of films, and and you are not directing and overseeing all of them yourself, you you, you it can't just be about like, oh, I, I was the writer director here. It's just like mm-hmm. this isn't the time to put another notch in your belt as writer director. It's like that might be right. what you do normally, but this isn't what you're going to do here. Like, t- take a pass on the screenplay. Like, tell me, like, if there's anything, like, you know, obviously, like, I, I don't believe in like giving the script to the director and being like, this is what you're doing, fucko, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. you know, at least tell them, like, is there anything here that you think doesn't make any sense? But it's yeah. more like a, it's more like a, a generous director's pass. Like, we're not saying you should rewrite this, but take a pass as a director and just tell us, are there any gaps? Is there anything that you're having trouble with in terms of how mm-hmm. you're going to tell the story? And, yeah. you know, you can do some light touch-ups to the script just for clarity's sake, like any director would. Um, but, but yeah, but this was not the time to go, you know what, do whatever you want with the, the, the middle act of this story, Right. you know, well, and it, then not no, let I, them finish it out.
1: Exactly. Like the, and, one and, and of the and first
2: it, things when I Googled this, by the way, is a, the, mm-hmm. one of the stories. It's just, what about broom boy? <laughs> right, it's you know the idea that that the force, you know, could be anybody. Yeah, that's gone now. Yes, in this movie. Yeah, no. Well, you, at least you have it to, doesn't. It doesn't matter. You have to be highborn.
1: Right. Well, look. I mean, at the end of the day, I know another thing that everybody complains about is like. The directors kind of get swallowed up in the in the industry, right? Yeah, and it's like, oh well, the director didn't have much say, and so the movie's terrible. And and I completely understand that, right? Like, if the director, if, if their vision gets removed or tweaked, a la Ramey for Spider Man Three, yeah, it, it's going to result generally in a worse film. But but what what I think people are missing is that um, at the end of the day with a with a trilogy that's self-contained like Star Wars it's not an opportunity to to be an auteur you you are telling a story and it isn't your story it, it, it like when you sign on to Star Wars you have to understand i don't get like to put my personal stamp on this to such a degree that I'm used to. Yeah. I I'm telling Kathleen Kennedy's story, right? She's the, the filmmaker here. Right. And so, and so people get caught up like, Oh, well you have to give your filmmakers room. And yes, but what you're actually trying to say is you have to have a sol- like you have to have one vision. And oftentimes that's the director or the writer. But in a, in the case of this, It's probably more accurately the Kevin Feige or the Kathleen Kennedy. And so, yes, I'm not taking anything away from the Rousseau brothers. I'm not taking anything away from any of the Marvel directors or writers. But at the end of the day, what they're hired to do is support Kevin Feige's vision. Yeah. And if you can't get on board with that, like Edgar Wright, you don't get to make a movie. Yeah. Because – It's not your movie like it is, but it's not. And so, so again, I'm all for directors having the ability to put a stamp on a film, but within reason, it's the same way that I'm all for Ryan Johnson putting his stamp on Breaking Bad because he did. But within reason, if it doesn't support Vince Gilligan's story, then get lost. And, and that's, that's what didn't happen here and so yeah i feel like we could probably talk for hours on you know what they could have should have done oh yeah but you know at the end of the day what you end up having is a trilogy that's not coherent that feels disjointed that does not have a solid through line but is confusing always on what they're trying to do and where they're trying to go and we as the audience kind of know from the get-go where they're going. So it's almost like they're just trying to like throw red herrings out because they know we know. They know we know, right? Like, sorry, but you're not going to end the series with Ray being the big villain. We all know that. And so, so having all of the misdirection doesn't matter. Right. It, it, it it's pointless. Yeah. We all know where you're going. And so, you know, I think, I think at the end of the day, it's just, it's just a story that, that didn't need to be told because to me, the story is done. And, and here's another big point. It's It's the last thing I'll say at the end of rise of Skywalker, this saga doesn't feel any more complete than it did at the end of return of the Jedi. There's nothing in this new trilogy that adds to a completeness because the story was already done. If anything, this muddies the completeness. Mm. And that that's sort of maybe the, the nail in the coffin of it for me is I, I didn't get a feeling of like, who, the Star War is over. Right? Definitely over now because it was definitely over before. And then money came along, I, right? <clears throat>
2: um, I I definitely I'm gonna check this out. Um, I am a completionist, and yeah, um, and 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 I like Star Wars enough on an on a you know on a entertainment level that I'm sure, sure that I'm sure that you know there's enough there for me to get through the film. But yeah, I mean it's it, there, there's a lot of stuff that's been talked about, and and you know a lot of the spoilers and a lot of the this and that. So. It's hard for me to know until I've seen it. There there's stuff up there's stuff I'm I'm not a fan of. <clears throat> there's stuff that doesn't sound like a big deal to me. And there's a lot of stuff that honestly I'm like, well this sounds bad, but I got to I got to see it. Like I got to sure. see how it's executed because I've seen plenty of things in movies that sound sound horrible and they were fine for me upon yeah. watching them. So I'm definitely, you know, I'm definitely excited to to see it so I can come to those conclusions, uh, myself. Um, yeah, but, but unless the film turned out overwhelmingly positive for me, I would be unlikely to watch this trilogy again outside of, you know, my children. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and current, you know, and and again, so right now the only film, obviously there's only two to pick from the only film I would watch again, just for fun would be the force awakens. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought the force awakens was a lot of fun, um, and at the time it had the benefit of being like the, here's some confusing things, but don't worry about it right now. we got two more movies coming. So right. it, it, it was free from those, those constraints at the time. Like this is act one for, for like, just be excited. I'm like, okay, I will yeah, be. Yeah. But then when it came time to start giving me stuff, it wasn't given, you know, the trilogy stopped giving me things, yeah. um, stopped, Stop giving me resolution or intrigue. Uh, yep. so I would, I would be curious to close this out myself. Um, so, well, yeah. this movie's made a lot of money. Uh, it's, it's number one uh, box office. It's made $362 million over the past weekend. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's this big, it's a big yep. one yep. and it's going to keep going. So yeah, totally. Um, yeah, it'll probably, it'll probably, yeah, it'll pass frozen. Definitely frozen. Two. Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: Um,
2: yeah. Well, there's that, Sweet. yeah. yeah. Um, at some point, um, just speaking of Star Wars, we gotta um, talk about the Mandalorian, and uh, yeah, I got a whole bunch of little, little, little nuggets, little giblets to to dole out. Okay. Uh, in the coming weeks, um, as time goes on this uh, this winter, <laughs> I, I, I will be. Uh, I, I will, I will make little tease promises to, to, to you viewers about what we're talking about or what we might talk about or what I've at least got coming up to talk about, um, mm-hmm. but there might be a sudden week where we're just not here and mm. uh, because of the baby. Yep. So, um, at any point, we could be on hiatus, I guess, yes. um, but I can tell you that um, if I can be here, I'll be here, uh, and if I can't, then get over
0: it. Same. Same.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, Anyways, that being said, uh, have a. I hope. I hope twenty twenty is good to everyone. And I, I'm, I'm personally uh, excited for the for the year, and excited. uh, I don't know. Just artistically, I'm excited. Not that I have any real reason to be. I just. I don't know. Feel good. Feel good about the year. Sweet. For some reason. So. Do with that what you will. All yeah. right, Dustin. Um yeah, I, we'll, we'll talk we'll talk again. We'll speak next week. Sounds good. All right, everyone. Goodbye. Bye. Oh, by the way, when you said um when you said when you you're talking about I don't know why I'm giving the emperor an accent and you you were like, "Hey, let me show you. I got this thing over here." I thought of Joe Pesci <laughs> playing <laughs> the Emperor.
1: And oh, then, and dude, then, and I would I, be all over that. I,
2: and all I thought, and all I thought, of, you know, just give him like a little bit of like eye makeup, but otherwise, just let him be old Joe Pesci. Yes. And he's just, he's just like Ray. Ray, can you hear me? I got your fucking head in a vice. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh man, oh, I love Joe Pesci. I love him so much.
2: Do you you know, I think Joe Pesci be, be, Joe Pesci be, 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 the emperor and have Daniel Stern be Kylo Ren.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I got him. (laughs) (laughs) Dude. My most watched movie of 2019 was my cousin Vinny. Really? It was. It absolutely was. It's so good. It's a good film. It's a great movie. I haven't
2: seen, I haven't seen it in a while. I've got it here at the house somewhere.
1: It's so good, man. It is good. It is definitely. That's a great film. It is. Yeah, we should do a commentary for that.
2: Man, there's so many things we could do a commentary for. Yeah, dude. Yeah, you know. God. <laughs> Joe Pesci's great.
1: He is.
0: Okay. Well, yeah. oh, Joe Pesci. Sorry, I'm just thinking of Joe it's, Pesci now.
1: Yeah, I know. I'm Have think- You heard his new song. Uh, this new one. <laughs> yeah, he did one with uh, with Adam Levine. All right, hold on. We'll me-
2: I've got us. I've got to hear this. Yeah, let's see, Joe Pesci. <laughs> baby girl? Baby girl, that's it. Oh no. Okay. Okay.
0: Okay, baby girl. All right, here we go. <laughs> this is new?
1: Yep. Yeah. Okay. Came out right before the Irish. Oh boy. All right, here we go.
0: Azúcar, gozalo pechi, sabroso. Báilalo, mami. When I'm away from you, I know what to say. That's him? Yeah. But every time you're near my courage disappears. Uh-huh. Don't know if I'll get
1: this should just be Stored the new HooperCast theme. You. <laughs> do,
0: you, do you think he'll
2: license it, it, it to us?
0: Yes. <laughs> I make a fool of That's for sure. I so
2: much be Jeez, this is the so bizarre. This is so
0: bizarre.
2: <laughs> uh, please tell me they harmonize. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh
2: man. They've, they've got the peschettes in the background there. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Jeez.
2: Yes. That is oh, great. That's still not as good as um. Danny, don't you know, though, that was it's the true. Thing. It's true. Jeez, amazing. Okay.
0: All right, man. <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> Bye.